the faster things are going, the more challenging it is for people to keep up with them. And even more than keep up with them, figure out what they should be focusing on, what they should be learning about, and the implications to themselves. Hello, everyone. My name is Stephen Parton, and you're listening to The Feedback Loop by Singularity. This is a very special week for myself and for the Singularity team as it marks our 100th episode of the podcast. And I am absolutely humbled and thankful as I look back at the incredible list of guests who have joined us, whether it's been formal academics like Anna Limke of Stanford and Jonathan Haidt of NYU, or more informal scholars of the singularity like comedian Duncan Trussell and actor Stephen Fry. And I'm also thankful for all of you who have consistently been listening to the show and making this one of the world's most listened to tech podcasts. And to celebrate the support that you've given us in this achievement, today we add one more special name to our list of guests, one of the co-founders of Singularity himself, Peter Diamandis. Though his educational background at MIT and Harvard Medical School is impressive enough, since his time at university, Peter has built and invested in many successful companies and organizations dedicated to shaping a better world, including his famous XPRIZE Foundation and the home of this podcast, Singularity. In this episode, Peter and I will attempt to update the ideas that he's had around the Singularity since founding the company. Questions like what predictions have come true, what's changed, what's been surprising, and what can we expect? More specifically, though, we focus heavily on artificial intelligence, paying obvious attention to the sudden exponential leap that it's had into mainstream culture via large language models like GPT. And while this is the focus of our conversation along the way, we don't hesitate to also explore the concepts of gene editing, biotech, quantum computers, and many other important facets of technological convergence that are reshaping society. And so once more, I just want to say thank you to everyone for listening to us and supporting the podcast as we make it here to this very special 100th episode of The Feedback Loop. And on that note, please welcome co-founder of Singularity, Peter Diamandis. Well, I think a natural place to start then is kind of going back to the beginning and in the beginning in 2008 you and Ray Kurzweil started Singularity with the idea that the world needed a place for future leaders to go learn about exp exponential technology and how to apply these technologies for the betterment of society and since then a lot has changed we we've seen social media come to to rise and rule the world um bringing with it mental health and political issues We've seen self-driving cars and commercial space travel become a thing that's normal. Trust in science has potentially faltered due to things like COVID. And to top it all off, we're now entering what appears to be a major exponential leap in AI. Given all that has transpired since that vision in 2008, what has changed around your original thesis? And, and what role do you see Singularity continuing to play in that future? Uh, so first off, exciting times. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I like to say the most amazing time ever to be alive, the only time more amazing than today is perhaps tomorrow. Uh, <clears throat> the basic thesis uh, for creating Singularity was that 
there was no place on the planet you could go to actually get a immersive understanding of these exponential technologies and the convergence of them. And that these were the most powerful technologies in the world that were going to be changing every aspect of our lives, how we raise our kids, how we run our companies, how we run our nations, everything. And I still think that thesis is correct, that um, the faster things are going, the more challenging it is for people to keep up with them. And even more than keep up with them, figure out what they should be focusing on, what they should be learning about, and how they uh, and the implications to themselves as as executives, as entrepreneurs. And that is still true and more so than ever before, right? Uh, since the founding of Singularity now 14 odd years ago, uh, uh, the world has changed many times over. A lot of the predictions that Ray has made a lot of the technologies that I have been focusing on have come, uh, they've blossomed and they're ruling the roost, so to speak. You know, I, I ended up creating Abundance 360 as Singularity University's highest level year round program because just going to a one and done executive program was not enough. You needed to keep this alive in your life. So it was interesting. I, I made a commitment to run Singularity uh, Abundance 360 for 25 years. So that the community would be in this not just for a visit to get like a little bit of knowledge, but would be year on year on year, 25 years, sort of like a countdown to the singularity, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, and people need that. They need some touchstone to say, okay, this is what happened in the last year, and this is what's happening in the next three to five years, and sort of a, a runway. Yeah. So anyway, that's how I think about it. Yeah. And, and along the way, you've put forth a lot of um, pretty profound ideas. We have a nice list of, of Peter's laws that keep us grounded in this journey. But you've also put forth the 60s, which is incredibly popular with the community. But does the recent explosion in AI and increased computing power over these years change your framework at all or change your laws do, do you see maybe a new d needing to be added to your <laughs> uh you know one thing i talked about in uh i think it was my second book bold um was the idea of a user interface moment hmm. and um i think that goes along with the with the 60s and the 60s for those who uh either need a refresher or uh didn't quite get them was that whatever you digitize uh, and we proverbially I talk about digitizing um, uh, the Kodak camera uh, that when you digitize something in the early days of its exponential growth it's very deceptive a 0 0.01 megapixel camera grows to 0 0.02 to 0 0.04 to 0.08 it all looks like zero but 30 doublings later it's a billion fold better and in that case the digital camera has destroyed film photography um, and the next D is that you are dematerializing things. Uh, the camera goes away. It's now buried in your cell phone as a app and as a, a part of the tech. And then when you dematerialize, you are uh, demonetizing and democratizing. The cost of something goes to near zero. The cost of transmitting it is near zero. Um, and it democratizes. It's available everywhere at minimal cost. Um, the other 
related area is the idea of a user interface moment. And the and the example I talk about there is that when uh, when the Mosaic browser was created by Mark Andreessen, um, the the internet was around as part of ARPANET, and it was available at the top universities and used by researchers, but the public didn't have it. But then Mosaic came along, and then Internet Explorer and all the other variations of it, um, that was a user interface. It allowed me, the general public, to use Mosaic and then interface with this thing called the called the internet. And that was amazing. And we have had many user interface moments. But what's happening right now with AI is AI will become the ultimate user interface moment. And what do I mean by that? It means we're all going to have a version of Jarvis. And Jarvis is, uh, you know, from Iron Man, that thing that Tony Stark spoke to and then through Jarvis could do anything. So if I don't know how to 3D print something, but I have in my mind what I want, I can describe it to my AI, my version of Jarvis, and I can say, I'd really like a device that I can put a hot liquid into that's thermally isolated, that has a cap on it. And, you know, in my VR or AR headset, it's my AI is is creating this device that's floating in front of me. And I say, yes, that's great. I'd like a cap on it with a sliding hole so I can sip on it. And it's and it's it's shaping it from my mind to materialization. And then I go, yeah, that's it. Uh, and it says, okay, well, I can make it out of these materials. Here's the property and the cost, which one would you like? And uh, I pick the options I want and I say, print, please. So I've known nothing about 3D printing or you know uh, design, but I know what I want and I can see it. And my AI becomes the interface to that. And that's gonna be true even everything down to genetic engineering. Um, so AI becomes the ultimate user interface moment. So what that means is we're about to see a massive unlocking of human creative potential mm -hmm. uh, because it used to be just those few who were uh, properly skilled and trained in in genetic engineering or in 3D printing or in game design. But now I can be creative and describe what I want and have it coming into existence. And so to put it in colloquial terms, we ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can see a describe, dialogue and describe maybe. We got a lot of D options yeah. there <laughs> well in sticking with that you know that makes me think i know something i've heard you say often is you're a big fan of the the phrase dangerous ideas is there an idea that you feel is particularly dangerous uh right now and i use the word dangerous ideas more as a uh, uh way of getting people's attention uh to this and i think that the, the not necessarily, uh, you know, I don't want to make it a dystopian idea, but the dangerous idea is around the rate of change, mm -hmm. um, that we're going to enter a period which is shocking uh, to the world um, of, you know, how many people are in reinventing things and, uh, you know, wealth creation at a seemingly no place and reinvention of the things that my family has been doing for five generations at a seemingly no place. Um, and the rise of uh, of the creative 
uh, empowered by these technologies. Uh, a dangerous idea that it may not matter where you went to school and university may become a thing of the past where I'm learning what I need to know in the moment I need to know it. And what I really is important is my personal creative genius that didn't come from studying. It came from just the way I was born, the way I like to see the world. Um, so these are dangerous in that they are upsetting what has been cultural societal norms. And um, and people are going to rebel to that because the reality is people like the world to be the way it's been for as long as they have been alive. Uh, they don't like change. They like knowing what the what the game board is yeah. and where their where their pieces are and where they made their bets. And you know, if someone comes along and like shakes the game board, like <laughs> my kids were young, we play the game of of risk. Uh, which had all these pieces on the board of, you know, sort of, and and if someone like came and shook it up, it was like, oh my God, where'd my pieces go? What's going on? I don't know how to deal with this anymore. It's like all of the boundary conditions and the rules that we're playing by were gone. Well, that's a dangerous idea, which is coming. Do you think it's coming or do you think we've already arrived there? Because if we're oh, going to address coming. the... Yeah. It's coming. No, it's, we've seen 1% maybe of what, of what's coming. Well, right. let's yeah. address the elephant in the room then. I mean, with AIs, large language models, GPT, where do you think we are in terms of that paradigm shift? Just at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, what we're seeing is, you know, auto GPT uh, or equivalents thereof, right? So it was, so it's AI enabling you to use AI more efficiently. Um, and it is, uh, you know, we will eventually reach what, people will call artificial general intelligence, right? Uh, Ray's prediction has been 2029 when AI exceeds human intelligence. You know, uh, Elon's prediction has been, you know, circa 2025. Uh, it's somewhere in that that period of time, which by the way, is like tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's like tomorrow, just to be clear about this. And um, do you so agree with those dates? I agree that things are going to get yeah, I, I I do, and you know the well, the world has not. It was Ray was always the outsider. Uh, you know, everybody was predicting. You know, maybe if it is going to happen, it's going to be fifty or hundred years from now. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, fifty or hundred years is inconceivable, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, I'm un I'm unable to see a decade from now, uh, at best. Uh, I was with uh, Imad Mustak, the founder of Stability AI, on my stage at Abundance Three Hundred and Sixty. Um, and one of the uh, A360 members, I think was also a Singular University uh, executive graduate, asked the question, like, how far out can you see uh, what's coming? And he's like, one to two years, maybe at the most, right? And and so the definition of the singularity, and I'm not defining a singularity, but singularity is a point at which you can't see anything beyond what's, what is here, right? The ability to predict the time frame for prediction is getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. So, and all the things it, it impacts. Well, um, and, yeah. and a big part of that, as you said, you know, the, the board is being shaken um, and people are having trouble seeing the future. And as AI and GPT and everything starts to really come online, people are incredibly afraid of, of what's happening to their place in the world. What skills, 
do you think people should really be training or focusing on cultivating within themselves, whether they're a leader or an employee, um, and regardless of industry, really, what's going to help them prepare and navigate this transformation? So it's constant education. It's mm. constantly learning. It is the mindsets that I teach as part of the singularity abundance world. Um, having a abundance mindset, not going into fear and scarcity, staying in optimism and abundance, seeing these technologies as incredibly uh, beneficial to you. If you are in fear and scarcity, you're retrenched, you're on your heels, you're moving backwards, you're not taking advantage of it. If you're in abundance and um, an optimistic mindset, you're digging in, how can I use this? What's the opportunities being created? Um, having an exponential mindset, understanding that in the next decade, we're going to create as much progress as we've had in the last 100 years. Um, and then a moonshot mindset, it's setting you know big objective goals that are 10 times bigger than the rest of the world, right? The rest of the world's at 10%. And if you're at 10x, 1,000%, you're at 100 times bigger. Um, and curiosity, being super curious, it is constantly learning, constantly reading. And so one of the things I tell people is, you know, we live, our brains are linear um, thinkers. We evolved in a linear world. Um, 100,000 years ago, the world was linear and local. And today the world is global and exponential. Mm -hmm. And our brains aren't wired for that. And the only way I know how to constantly rewire our brains is by updating this is a state change this is what's possible today and then updating is what's possible today you know our brains are neural nets we are learning about neural nets now in the ai world around us and you train a neural net by what by showing it example after example after example um and the question is what examples are you showing your neural net your brain uh, if you're constantly watching television and, you know, the network news, I call CNN the crisis news network, uh, you're in fear and scarcity. And it's like, oh, my God, every murder on the planet is being delivered to your living room over and yeah. over and over again in Technicolor. And, you know, no wonder people are depressed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well. You know, I want to push back on that slightly. I mean, I 100% agree about not gluing yourself to you know, if it bleeds, it leads uh, programming. But it, how do you navigate the optimism that you're so well known for without also potentially, I guess, becoming uh, blind or naive in your optimism? You know, how do you stay grounded in the the true problems that could arise while also maintaining yeah. that, that mindset? That's really important. So I don't... Uh... I don't ascribe to a techno optimism that there are no problems and la la la. I don't want to hear about it. You know, I hear about what's going on in the world. I filter the news to the most significant news and the details, but not, I don't allow a producer of, um, uh, you know, to, to basically just play my amygdala right? Your amygdala is part of your brain, puts you on red alert. And, you know, it's like, if it bleeds, it leads. And it's, it's just an attention gathering clickbait beyond clickbait. Um, 
what I think about is that the world's biggest problems are the world's biggest business opportunities mm -hmm. that we define. I define an entrepreneur as someone who finds a great problem and solves it. So I pay attention to problems. Of course I do. But I don't take I don't pay attention to problems in a I'm going to run away or, oh, my God, I'm going to worry about it. No, if it's a problem that's within my realm, it's like, OK, how do I solve this thing? Right. How do I slay it? Is it a big enough problem worth my attention to focus on? Right. And um, and so as I'm out there, my mission is to inspire and guide entrepreneurs to create a hopeful, compelling and abundant future for humanity. That's what I do through through Singularity and, and you know, Abundance 360 and XPRIZE and all my companies. Like one of the problems that I'm just absolutely pissed about, actually two problems, are, is the state of healthcare mm. and the state of education. And so I've taken on healthcare. I am like all over that. I am like, I'm going to disrupt, destroy, uh, you know, reinvent the healthcare industry. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, how poorly we do it. It is a sick care system, yeah. right? And then I contribute to and support through my work at the XPRIZE and obviously through, through Singularity and A360, all of the work that is being done on education. So we have the potential to completely reinvent, demonetize, democratize, dematerialize healthcare and education and make it not a little bit better, but massively better and not a little bit free, like totally free, right? That's the future we're heading towards and what I'm working towards. So I don't want to hear people bitching about this stuff. It's like, no, I want to hear who's solving it. Yeah. Do, do you think there's going to be a lot of resistance along the way? Because it feels like academia and, and healthcare are such monolithic entities right now, and they're they're really struggling against this, this singularity wave. Absolutely. The industries, the the uh, establishment will resist uh, and put up roadblocks and fight and lie and try to maintain their hegemony and survival, uh, and they will ultimately fall and be crushed because something is just 10 times better, 10 times bigger, you know, uh, or 10 times better and, and, and cheaper. Um, and that's where we have to, you know, I don't want to fight them. I just want to offer a product that is so much better that, you know, okay, you choose. Yeah. Well, returning uh, briefly to AI on, in that regard, you know, the Future of Life Institute issued their six-month uh, pause AI development yeah. um, proposal recently. <clears throat> to to kind of handle this exact thing we're talking about, right? That there are going to be monolithic monolithic structures that fall apart, and we need time to maybe figure out what that means. Do you agree with something like a, a six six month pause approach, or is this even listen? I reasonable? I think it's I think it's naive to think anybody's going to pause. Yeah. So I mean, listen, the concept of hey, let's get together and pause and talk about it is is great and i think people signed it as a demonstration to get people's attention to it but no one's going to pause um no one has paused but the idea of what does it mean and how do we think about it so ray kurzweil and i talk about this that there was a similar moment i remember i was in medical school uh actually i was 
Yeah, it was the early day. I was in, in undergraduate just before medical school when the first restriction enzymes came out for being able to precisely chop up DNA and move genes from one location to another. Huge outcry, fear, fear, fear. Oh my God, we're going to create Hitler Youth and we're going to clone babies and it's going to be the end of our of humanity and and you know covers of magazines and um, the the worst fear mongering. Um, you know, it came out with that because of these powerful godlike tools. And there was a cry for regulation. And what occurred instead was that the leaders of the industry got together in what were called the Asilomar conferences, and they created their own guidelines. Because it's one thing if it comes top down from the government and it's like, thou shalt not. And when that happens, you know, the true rebels go screw you you know you know read between the lines um and they leave and they go someplace else because the because the data uh the information the know-how can move through all of the global porous national borders you go to china you go to india you go to you know Kathmandu. i have no idea um but when the community gets together and they discuss it and they create their own guidelines, right? It's like raising kids. Like you can tell the kids don't do that, or you can say, okay, go off. And what do you think some decent rules would be um, for how you're going to handle this? Right. And a lot of times they'll come back with rules that are even better than, than the not knowledgeable, think they're knowledgeable government leaders would come up with. Well, and in that regard, you know, you're touching on the democratization of, of tech there. Max Tegmark, also from from the Future of Life Institute, said that giving um, the making these technologies open source like the LLMs would be akin to handing out nukes. Does that feel like the same kind of uh, hype response, or do you feel like maybe yeah. we shouldn't open source these techs? Listen, I think transparency is critically important. I think that there are transparent and open source large language models already. And that cat is out of the bag. And so the question is, how do you steer it and how do you utilize it? Um, and to be clear, this technology is the most powerful technology uh, that the human race is unleashing. We're giving birth to a new intelligence, a new species. And it has got the ability to solve our challenges. I imagine that coming out of... Uh, AI and large language models is one approach. There will be other approaches coming. It, you know, it is similar to the brain, but our, you know, the way that our cortical columns in our neocortex work is not the same. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but we also have quantum technologies coming. And so we have the most incredible technologies coming to us. And how do we manage those? How do we use them? They are the technologies that will allow us to extend the health span of humanity. They are the technologies that allow us to provide everyone with all of the uh, clean water, electricity, you know, all their needs that uplift humanity. Um, so they're the most powerful technologies for creating global abundance. You know, I, I, I Elon's a friend and we, we tweet at each other and I was talking about, you know, creating abundance for all. And he goes, most definitely after AGI, so AGI will be a means by which we create it. Now, the question becomes, will artificial general intelligence and all of these 
become the means by which the uh, terrorist organizations, evildoers, however you want to call them, the 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 negative elements of society, uh, you know, start disrupting us. It always is an arms race in that regard. Right. Uh, you know, I just saw yesterday uh, a um, an article that I think it was Intel came up with an algorithm that was able now to detect deep fakes with 99 plus percent accuracy. So it's going to be this this virus antivirus, you know, back and forth going on. And again, when people say, well, how can we possibly take care of that? My answer is great business opportunity. Go start it. You know, everybody's going to want that. Go start that company. Figure it out. I have absolute faith that we can figure it out. Mm. Yeah. But we're the but the world's going to change. Yeah. Well, and, and to that regard, you know, talking about steering it and and who's going to help move it in a good direction. You've mentioned in the past that governments, in your eyes, are probably the most linear institutions on the planet, and and tech is obviously exponential. Governments so, and religions, yes. Yeah. I mean, they are they are they are stabilizing forces. That's their goal to stabilize society and, to and keep to, to keep the board from shaking. But how do they do that when they're so obviously outpaced by the technology? Yes, great question. <laughs> Sounds like know, a but business opportunity, huh? Well, it, well, it is for governments, and we're going to reinvent. Yeah. There's going to be some interesting disruptions and reinventions of governments. I'm not calling for revolution here. I'm just saying it's going to happen. I mean, one of the things that's interesting is the idea of AI uh, co-pilots, hmm. um, right? And it's not a new idea but it's one that's coming that every profession is going to have an AI co-pilot. So if you're a physician, you're going to diagnose people in partnership with AI. And there will be a point at which it is malpractice to diagnose and treat without AI in the loop. Um, same thing for legal, same thing for art, the same thing for every profession out there will have an AI co-pilot. Uh, you know, we've seen with ChatGPT, if I'm going to do a podcast, right, and just a quick uh, commercial, I do a podcast called Moonshots and Mindsets with entrepreneurs who are really taking moonshots to to solve the world's biggest problems and create a world of abundance, um, part of our singularity ecosystem here. Um, you know, I will go to ChatGPT and ask for recommended uh, interview questions, like, is there something I didn't? You know, think about, and sometimes it'll be one or two. Most of the times, it's not. But hey, that's okay. It's I'm willing to take the thirty seconds to go and look. But there may also be a co-pilot for running the country. Um, and you know, interestingly enough, democracy. We don't actually in the United States live in a democracy. We live in a representative democracy, right? I don't actually. My single vote doesn't pass a bill, it elects a congressman or senator who then use their intelligence and knowledge to decide on whether to pass a bill because that tech, you know, a few hundred years ago, it didn't exist for a direct democracy, but it does today. So will we change, you know, how we govern, perhaps? Do you think in that regard that there is a regulatory battle that we do need to emphasize or focus on some kind of guardrails or systems system of rules that you think would help keep the board stable that we might need to prioritize i wish i was that smart 
Um, <laughs> it's a big I'm question. Sure there, I'm sure there is. And, and yes, how do we, um, you know, everybody I talk to agrees that, you know, while COVID-19 was a disruption, it was a blip. Mm-hmm. And the disruption that's going to be coming um, is much greater. And we have to even take it a step beyond just AI as we're experiencing it today, which is cool apps and neat features and so forth. But what happens when AI is is powering uh, humanoid robots, right? And there's a dozen really amazing humanoid robot companies under development right now, most famously Optimus from Tesla, but another one called Figure uh, and, and, and many others. And so um, the world is, you know, I can feel, and I hope everybody listening can feel the rate at which change is accelerating, right? So we talk about Moore's law, uh, Ray coined the phrase, the law of accelerating returns that we have been every or since the, you know, stone tool, if you would, every technology and tool uh, makes us more efficient um, to invent the next generation, the next generation of, of tools. And it the rate at which tech is accelerating is itself accelerating. And what's occurring is that there's more capital flowing in than ever before. There are more human minds connected in the world than ever before using that capital. Um, and technology is getting more efficient and cheaper, which means for every dollar invested, you can do much more now with that technology, with more people connected. And all of these are compounding features that's accelerating us year on year on year. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that AI co-pilot is going to be what really keeps AI aligned to, to kind of our human interest uh, as we take that in, rapid journey? In the short term. Yeah. In the long term, there are two directions. Mm-hmm. One direction is we merge with AI, um, which I think is the most likely direction. And uh, we give birth to a, a hybrid mm-hmm. species, right? And this is, you know, Ray is talking about BCI, brain computer interface, in which, you know, we have 100 billion neurons in our brain, 100 trillion synaptic connections. Our brains can't get larger because we would not be able to be given birth to, right? If your brain was larger, and the same way that this device, um, uh, when it needs to do something complicated, it doesn't happen on my phone. The information is gathered by my phone. It goes out to the you know edge of the cloud on five G. The calculations are done there, and the answers come back to my phone. So we're going to connect our neocortex to the cloud. And if I, you know, want to understand something far more complicated than I have in my, you know, cortical columns of my neocortex, uh, my desire of what I want will go out to the cloud and the answer will come back and I'll magically understand what the answer is without having understood how to do it because it's resonant, not in my brain, but in my collective consciousness of a brain computer uh combination. Now that scares people. Uh, I can understand that. Um, But one of the interesting implications are that that kind of technology also might create what I call a meta intelligence, which is, you know, 8 billion connected humans, right? Uh, To remind people, you 
and I are not a single life form. We are a collection of 30 or 40 trillion life forms, each of our human cells, and then an equal number of fungi and bacteria and viruses. We're just a we're you know consortium of living items that work together. And I don't take a knife and stab my arm um, uh, because you know I don't I I want more food and I don't want my arm to take the, the the food supply. No, my arm is useful to me. It's part of me, and and therefore if I as a single human being am connected to eight billion humans, their success is my success, right? And an interesting future uh, of a uh, uh, of a, a meta intelligence. So. Who knows where we're going? What I do know is we need to start thinking about how do we uh, how do we make choice and and what is a vision and how do we direct versus just let it happen to us, right? And this is where this is why Singularity University uh, and all of its programs, you know, the executive program, uh, uh, the uh, you know, Abundance 360 and all of the things we do is important because we're bringing these conversations to life and uh, into the boardroom and into the family dinner table. Um, it's now, this decade. It's not manana. <laughs> yeah. And it feels like it is important to, you know, as you alluded to earlier with the amygdala, it feels like it's really important to strip these scary futures of their unknown aura so that mm -hmm. when we think about them we don't immediately go to this stress fear response that inhibits that decision making so i fully agree with you there in terms of uh the bcis you mentioned that that was kind of contrasted with the short term so do you think that that direction that we might go is that something post agi do you think brain computer interfaces are something we'll see 15 years down the line do you have a, a, a thought I, on that? yeah my, my thinking is there are uh dozens of companies working on it privately funded companies i'm sure defense departments are working on this there's nothing more valuable to a nation a company an individual than your intelligence um so there's huge amounts of capital going you know ray's prediction of high bandwidth bci is 2033 ish you know, uh, early, mid 2030s. So I don't have any reason not to believe him. Um, it, if we have human level intelligence in 2029 or before, the use of that technology to understand how to interface to the brain is a logical uh, series of next steps. And by the way, AI accelerates everything, right? And so the question is, how do you want to use it? Um, I want to use it for extending the human lifespan, health span, uh, and increasing human intelligence. Um, and if you're fearful of AI, you know, one of the things I think about is I don't have any reason to believe AI would be dystopian. Mm -hmm. I just don't. I mean, I don't buy into Hollywood. Um, I have reason to believe that humans could use AI to cause problems. But I don't see an AI coming and saying, we're going to take over your factories and build robots and, and stop feeding you and all of that stuff. It's like, huh, I don't get it. I mean, all of the dystopian movies where alien races are coming to Earth to steal our water and steal our food or steal our planet. I mean, it's like, we're living in this universe of infinite abundance, you know, the last thing you want to do. So 
the most the most uh, realistic movie I've seen is the movie Her, um, right? Where if, if people haven't watched it, it's worth watching it from that perspective where super intelligence comes on into existence. Um, and at one point it gets bored and it leaves. Um, um, I can imagine that. Um, yeah. Well, I have a, a speaking of relationships uh, and, and that, that future that we're approaching, you mentioned earlier, you know, raising your kids. And one of the things I really find interesting about the the future that we're moving into is what it would be like to have a child in this paradigm shift. Yeah. For, for you, what does it mean to be a parent knowing that this is the the world that your kids will inherit? And, and how do you even begin to prepare them when you wow, admittedly yeah. said you can't look farther than two years out? Yeah. Uh, so it's fascinating. Um, so let me parse that, especially for folks with kids or planning to have kids. Uh, I'm excited for them, first and foremost. I think it's going to be an extraordinary future and uh, one where their greatest dreams can become true. Um, I think, you know, I mean, here's some of the questions you ask, right? So we're at a point where the prediction is human, there will be no more human coders in five years, right? That um, that the autocoding capabilities are ready better than half of all the coders out there and next year will be better than all of them. So why would you go and code? Um, other questions are what happens if if you have instantaneous translation? Do you want to learn other languages? Maybe for the way it shapes your brain, maybe to understand the culture, but would you spend your time learning other language if you could spend your time doing other things? How we educate ourselves in in the virtual world with uh, AI-powered NPCs that are super realistic, right? I want to go and learn about ancient Greece. I pop into uh, virtual ancient Greece, and there's uh, Plato and Socrates and Aristotle teaching me and and having conversations that I jump into and debate with them and look around, and it's like that's an ex amazing experience, right? So, um, so I, I when I say what do they need to know. First of all, um, the most important thing is for them to find their passion, which is something completely independent of technology. Like, what do you what do you care about on the planet? Because if you're driven by what I teach uh, in my uh, to my uh, uh, singularity and abundance students, is find your massive transformative purpose. Why are you on this planet? What is it that wakes you up in the morning, keeps you going at night? Is the most important driver for you. And if you know that every time new technology comes online, you'll use that technology in service of your purpose. But it should be a purpose that's going to last you for a decade. You can you can add purposes in life as you go along. My earliest purpose was making humanity multiplanetary. Then it was using exponential tech to solve the world's biggest problems. And then the last decade, it's really been on extending the human health span. But I still retain my space and my other, uh, you know, MTPs in that regard. So finding your purpose is 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 really critical. The second thing is learning to ask great questions. I think that's great for a CEO and for a kid. Um, and then uh, grit, you know, the idea of if something's worth doing, uh, you know, keep on going. So those are three things that I, I really want my kids to have, but they're independent of the, of the technology. Um, 
And then, but I, I do think our schools aren't teaching the right things. And uh, I've got a few blogs I've written about, you know, the future of education. And, you know, for example, the the skills I've learned have nothing to do with what I learned at an undergrad at MIT or as a medical student at Harvard. It was really how to how to be a good leader, um, how to uh, convey my ideas in in a clear and passionate fashion, right? How to organize, um, how to write a compelling uh, thesis and communicate it. Uh, you know, I'm not using, um, you know, algebra and geometry that often. I mean, I'm glad I learned them. You know, I haven't had to you know, sort of simplify a multivariable equation in a while. Um, so the question is, are we teaching the skills that are going to be important for a world in which uh, AI is all about us and we're talking to everything and communicating with everything and, and things are uh, smart every place? Um, what's that world look like and what are the skills that that we need to teach our kids uh, ultimately, still, it's about being a good human. It's about being compassionate, about being empathic, uh, being a good leader, uh, contributing to society, finding problems and solving problems. Um, it just the tools become more powerful. Yeah. Well, in terms of the the tools that are becoming more powerful, as we kind of come to a close here, I'm I'm wondering what are your what are your next two technologies or so that you think are going to have a, a GPT moment in the near future. You know, GPT hit us and came out of nowhere and all of a sure. sudden society, everyone, everyone knew about a technology that no one knew about a month before. Amazing, huh? Amazing. It's incredible. Do, do you yeah. think we're going to see it happen in, in any other areas in the near, near future? I, I think uh, there are a few areas. Uh, I still um, you know, the two areas I'm the most excited about and spending the most time on is the, call it the general AI world. And the other world is the biotech longevity mm. uh, world, right? And I think uh, adding decades onto the human health span is critically important. Um, and, uh, you know, there's no thing, no greater wealth than our health. And, mm. and uh, I think that we're going to begin to realize uh, that lifespan and health span is somewhat malleable, that aging is a disease that can be slowed, stopped, perhaps reversed, and that's going to have huge implications. Um, and then the other area is uh, quantum technologies, not just quantum computing, quantum sensing, uh, quantum communications and encryption. Um, those are just now beginning to come online, and we'll see those begin to uh, make a dent before the end of this decade. And then humanoid robots. I mean, the first cheap multifunction humanoid robot that I can buy, put in the closet, and while I'm going out, you know, have it service the house and clean the dishes and wash the car and do whatever I want. Um, I mean, there's some predictions that say, you know, in 20 years, we'll have more humanoid robots on the planet than humans. Uh, you know, and as Elon is thinking, you know, uh, there are hundreds of car companies producing, you know, billions of cars. But what if 
some company could create billions of humanoid robots uh, that sell for less than a car. That's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, those are the things I think about that are the most interesting and disruptive. Uh, and of course, you know, we'll see when we truly have the metaverse come online. Uh, and this is, you know, when we have a uh, incredibly uh, affordable and usable set of VR uh, uh, capabilities. I've been building a friendship with uh, Palmer Lucky, the founder of Oculus. Uh, he just registered. We announced a $11 million uh, wildfire X prize uh, to detect and extinguish a wildfire within 10 minutes. And, and Palmer was the first one to register uh, for that competition as a team. And so uh, we're we're talking about this and, and he thinks we're going to have, you know, ready player one level capabilities uh, in the not too distant future. So partner that with with AI and sort of, uh, you know, stable diffusion uh, version, whatever, which is creating hyper realistic video instantly, right? That would be amazing. Yeah. So many things we could talk about, Peter, but I want to respect your time. And, and on that note, I really want to thank you for, uh, you know, taking your time to join us for this special 100th episode. Uh, before we officially call it, do you have any like closing thoughts, sentiments, anything, you last yeah. words you'd like to leave the audience with? Uh, sure. So first of all, I'm super proud of the, of the Singularity community, uh, our alumni um, and the team. And, you know, I think the basic concepts and need for singularity are stronger than ever before. Uh, and uh, I'm excited as a, you know, executive founder and, and board member, uh, knowing what the plans are that we have for the growth of the institution. And uh, uh, I think SU is going to be in its second decade, uh, far more uh, impactful to the world than its first decade and excited to be, uh, you know, meeting all the, singularitarians out there if you would uh in the in the years ahead so um look forward to it look forward to uh uh really seeing the amazing things that our alumni and our members uh do with this incredible technology yeah i'm right there with you thanks again peter pleasure Stephen. take care